0: Hello, and welcome to the Teaching Together podcast, where we celebrate the glows and grows of teacher life. I'm Sierra, and I'm Grace. Each week on the podcast, we like to take a few minutes to celebrate the glows and grows that have been happening in our classrooms. So, Grace, what is yours for this week?
1: I actually have a grow for this week, um, which is somewhat ironic considering the topic that we're discussing, Um, but... Now that I've been in the classroom for a couple of weeks, I have noticed that my time management definitely could use some improvement, um, just in general, which we're going to get into great detail about today, so I'll just preface it with this is an area of growing for me.
0: I think it's an area of growing for all of us, especially in our first years of teaching. Um, Mine this week is a glow for a couple of reasons. So I mentioned in our second episode when we talked about routines that I was going to try a new routine with my junior technology classes this year called Folio 5, and I am thrilled at how it has been working for my class. Um, I also constructed like a bump it up wall type thing for my year eights and the assessment task that they were currently working on, which... It has been so exciting to actually see them use their Folio 5 time to go and look at the wall and compare their work with what was there.
1: That's amazing. For those of you that can't see, which is everybody, I'm making a face of (laughs) astonished excitement right now. That's so good. They just took it up much,
0: um, much faster than I actually thought they would. I thought it might take me a bit longer to try and encourage them to use that resource, but they just went for it. And
1: so that's been really lovely to see. Yeah, go Folio 5. So last episode, we took a deep dive into the impact that teacher expectations can have on student performance, as well as the effect of students' own beliefs on their performance. And I personally found it really fascinating to examine how the things we assume about or expect from our students can have real world implications in the classroom, even if we never actually say these things. So if you missed out on that episode, I would highly recommend you give it a listen so you don't miss out on that discussion.
0: Well, if there is one thing that you hear teachers say, it is just that there is not enough time in their day. I feel like teachers are typically the kind of people who care a lot about others. Mm. And so there's kind of a tendency, I think, in the teacher world to maybe have less of a work-life balance and um, give more of themselves and their time to work than there is in, say, other professions and other careers. Um There can be, as a result of that, a tendency to kind of neglect our own well-being for the sake of our students, but really that's just no good for anyone. So today we're going to discuss some helpful strategies for managing our time, which in turn will help us to manage our well-being. If you are brand new to teaching this year, I'm sure you are already feeling all sorts of pressure to work long days, whether that pressure is coming from you or from others. My big thought on the matter is don't fall into the trap of being someone who stays late just for the sake of looking like you're staying late, but do what works for you. And we're gonna talk more about what that means and what that looks like and how everybody's situation is different. But hopefully some of the tools and ideas that we mentioned today will just help you to reflect on your current time management processes in all senses of the word, whether it's in your classroom, outside your classroom, in your prep time, in your home time, and actually build in some new habits for this year. But before we get stuck into that,
1: it's time for tea. This afternoon, I am not doing anything too interesting tea-wise. I am drinking it from one of Sierra's lovely, enormous mugs, which is just the best, that I have to hug to drink from. So that was great. I'm just drinking Earl Grey like I was last episode. Um, I am enjoying it thoroughly. Sierra. what about you? I am trying chamomile tea for the first time. Um, I've always been
0: too nervous to try chamomile tea because I thought that I wouldn't like it. Yes, I had that same thought. Why is that? I don't know. It. I think it's it's a weird word. Yeah. I haven't come across it in any other place, and so we don't really know how we're going to respond to it.
1: Yeah. So I wanted to start by airing a recently acquired pet peeve of mine. Um, perusing the teachergram, if you will, um, <laughs> I have found a lot of people saying, that they're leaving at contract time as a way of preserving their well-being or their mental health or their work-life balance, et cetera, et cetera. But I have found that once my contracted quitting time arrives, I haven't even really gotten started on any of the things I need to be prepared for the next day. And I'm just wondering, how are all these teachers leaving at contract time and then enjoying delightfully cozy evenings with a book and a cup of tea? and then going to school and being prepared. Like, Am I missing something? I feel like, I mean, I am a brand new teacher, so there's lots of things that I'm doing this year that hopefully I won't need to do next year. But I just, I can't imagine leaving at 3.30 only because there's just so much I need to get done. And as we get into this episode, we're kind of going to address some of my concerns, but it's still an active thing of, am I you know, doing a bad job? Am I working too much? And Sierra is shaking her head next to me, so thank you for that validation. I don't think that you would be alone in feeling like this. And in fact,
0: I remember my first term, even my first two terms in my first full-time position where I don't think I stopped for recess or lunch ever. Mm. I was just doing things all day and staying late and then getting home and eating and doing more and more hours and it really can feel like you're just making no headway. And it's not because you're doing things wrong. I think that, um, like we said, people are going to have different ways of managing their time based on their home life and their other commitments. And staying at school really works for some people because they're in that like work frame of mind. And for other people, they need that break or decompression time once the kids have left for the day before they kind of feel like they have the energy and the mental space to kick back into planning and preparation. I think you know that it will get better. Yeah. And that everything that you're doing now is not always going to be like that. That being said, we're always trying to You know, reinvent the wheel, or we're always trying to adapt for our new class and their needs. And you can't necessarily rinse and repeat every year, but you get faster and you get more efficient at doing the things that you're doing now. And there's a lot of trial and error and experimentation, I think, in your first couple of weeks and months as a teacher. And you just start to get better at things in terms of your own. Um, work in the behind
1: the scenes, it's it's skill building and it takes time. Alas, it does take time. <laughs> um, I've been a full-time classroom teacher for almost two months at this point, and I am already very well acquainted with time and the painful reality of constantly being time poor. Um, And I don't know what I thought happened during a school day, but when I'm at school... I'm teaching, <laughs> and like when that first bell goes, I'm on class until basically the end of the day, um, and I have a class of tiny humans to take care of who I legally cannot leave unsupervised, so I am on pretty much the whole day. Um, I get technically three periods off class a week, one of which is my personal preparation time and two of which are spent in collaboration with my grade. So in actuality, I am allocated 55 minutes of time at school to get on top of my personal planning, cutting, laminating, labeling, marking, whatever, which is where some of my concern comes from in terms of how do I fit in all that extra stuff. Because if I have tasks that I can't get done in that 55 minutes per week, which is obviously the majority of my to-do list, then I need to do it at home, or I need to get to school early, or I need to stay late, or do all of the above.
0: It is going to be totally unrealistic for you to expect to get everything that you have to get done in the week done in 55 minutes. But this is where, you know, hopefully some good strategies, some planning and some boundaries will just help to feel like that's
1: easier. And my concern really, and the focus of this episode, is how we can best organise our time to tackle what really actually needs to get done and do it well. Um, And learning to live with potentially not getting done some of the less important things and adapting to our ever-expanding and changing to-do list.
0: Mm. One of the things I remember my very first head teacher saying to me quite early on when he saw me sitting at my desk and I was still there working and he was leaving for the day, he was like, one thing you'll come to realise pretty soon is that our job is never done. Yeah. Right? There's always more that you could do.
1: Mm.
0: Um, And so part of setting healthy boundaries for yourself and good time management is prioritising, having a really, you know, clear picture in your mind of what has to be done and then, you know, slowly working down the list of what's less necessary and making choices and sometimes even making sacrifices about ways that you do things. Maybe you can't do everything beautifully and tactile <laughs> I love making up words. Yeah. Um, Because that is time consuming to produce. And I guess the reality of you in this time and place is that you can't just sub out a lesson where you give your kids a passage to read quietly because that's not going to work for them. Nope. But, you know, like I said, over time, you'll develop your sort of back pocket strategies that you can just draw on when you're in a bit of a pinch and you'll get faster and more efficient at putting your things together for the day. And over time... We get better at managing our time. But it doesn't make it easier now. And add to that that we have to make all these on-the-go judgments and decisions throughout our day that apparently total to an average of, you know, over 1,500 decisions that we make on the go in a day. I would really love to know how that compares to, like, other professionals in their workplaces. Yeah.
1: The article that um, I got this fact from that I can't remember right now, equated it to being an airline pilot. Yeah, right. Which is pretty full on. Like, not that we have the literal lives and deaths of passengers in our hands, but we are making a comparable amount of decisions, which is 1,500 decisions a day works out apparently to be about four decisions a minute, which is too many and probably explains why I sit on my couch on the weekend and just do nothing because I can't be bothered to decide what to eat for lunch. (laughs)
0: I've seen, um this is actually another thing I've seen a lot on social media about people talking about how they just will get to their planning period or their free time during the day and they actually feel like they have to just use it to sit still and unwind for a bit mm. before they even have the capacity to start making choices and decisions again, which is why it's really important to have to-do lists and things that you can rely on when you don't necessarily have the brain capacity to make choices yourself. Exactly. So we're going to talk a bit more about that when we come to our strategies. But, you know, when you set in place good strategies, like, you know, I'm going to spend five minutes at the start of my day writing a to-do list that's actually got clear actions in priority order for me. When you do get those spaces of time, you don't have to then spend the mental energy thinking about what do I have to do next.
1: Yeah, you're kind of planning to plan almost. Yes, and if you
0: can trust that you've already done the planning when you had this headspace to do the planning, then, you know, you're not double handling at the end of the day when you might be a little bit worn out from decision fatigue. Exactly.
1: Um, Getting into the research side of time management, when we talk about time management, we're referring to the desire to use our time most effectively to achieve maximum productivity. And time management, or a lack of it, is widely cited as one of the most significant factors influencing teacher stress and job satisfaction, with one study conducted by the University of Eastern Finland finding a positive correlation between increased time management and decreased occupational stress in teachers. So basically, if you're good at time management and you're using strategies that you trust and use, then you are going to be less stressed and you're going to enjoy your job more. This study also found that you are more motivated to do your job when your time management is effective, probably because your job is just overall less stressful because you're managing your time and therefore more enjoyable. That's what I extrapolated from that. (laughs) One of the things we might not want to hear, though, is that effective time management is like trying to lose weight. You can't just exercise once or diet for a day and then be done. You actually have to consistently work on it. So these time management skills are things that need to happen all the time um, in order to be effective.
0: Um, If you haven't heard about or read Atomic Habits, I highly recommend. It is not a teacher-specific book, but it has so many helpful things for teachers um, in your own personal practice, but also how you can integrate really good habits into your classroom, which then have a flow-on effect for your students as well. But um, one of the things that um, James Clear talks about is habit stacking. Yes. Which is this really interesting and basic concept mm. um, where you stack a habit that you want to start on top of something that you already do automatically. So it might be something as um, baseline as when I get up, that's something that you already do every day without having to really think about it. I will insert new habit here. Mm. Um You know, it might not be something that you want to do first thing in the morning as you wake up, but it might be, you know, once I arrive at school, because that's just part of your normal daily routine, I will spend 10 minutes checking my emails and then close my inbox until the next allocated time that I choose to do that or whatever it is. And I think habit stacking um, is a really, really helpful strategy that we can use and making it part of our sort of daily routine or process, if you choose even some particular areas that you know sort of seem to suck your time, choosing some particular things and allocating points in your daily routine where they can be done, and then beyond that, You know, you don't touch it again till tomorrow and sometimes it just is what it is. One of the most challenging aspects of managing our time is the fact that there are just so many different parts of our job that require us to think in different ways. Over the past 20 years, there has been an enormous amount of research conducted into how the brain manages multitasking or task switching, which is just moving between two separate tasks quickly. The general consensus is that we actually become less efficient and less productive when we are task switching. We're more likely to make errors, even if the tasks are familiar or automatic. As teachers, we already know that it's really difficult to switch between different tasks or suffer interruptions or get halfway through something and have to abandon it because lunch just ended or the bell rang and it was different bell times today because of some assembly that got inserted in. Those are the ones that really get me. But these are the inescapable realities of our profession and part of our time management technique must involve managing these inevitable demands on our attention
1: our favourite, Ron Richart, has a really helpful rock metaphor, which I found really helpful, just as a visual in terms of prioritising and picking the things you're going to spend your time on. So basically, this rock metaphor starts with you have a jar and for some reason you're going to fill it with rocks. Maybe they're rocks from a beach that you went to with your loved one and you want to remember forever. I don't know. But you've got some pebbles and you've got some big rocks. If you start with the pebbles and you fill it up, and then try and stack all the big rocks on top, it's not going to work. The big rocks are going to get all crowded at the top and you're not going to fit them all in. If, however, you start with the big rocks and kind of stack them on top of each other and then fill the gaps with the pebbles, they will, if they're small enough, slide into all those gaps and you'll be able to fill, actually fill more of the space of the jar because you started with the big rocks. In this metaphor, The big rocks are your top priorities. They're the things that align with your values or the ethos of the school, and they are the non-negotiables. And the pebbles are kind of everything else. They're garnishes. They're that little bit of coriander that's on a salad for some reason that you always flick off and you're like, why did they put this here? What was the point of that? Don't flick off the coriander. Oh, it tastes like soap. No, disgusting. Um, though that's what the pebbles are. You can live with them. You can live without them. It doesn't matter. But they fit around the non-negotiables, essentially. And I just thought that was really helpful in describing how not, not everything is a big rock. Like, there are pebbles that you can live without. And I personally need to get better at identifying my big rocks and my pebbles. But I just thought that was helpful. Mm.
0: Time management is going to be a constant challenge for all of us. In this profession, it might be more challenging for others and it's probably going to be harder the earlier you are into your career and it gets easier over time as does exercise and as does a whole lot of other things that we're trying to implement in our life. Um, But there are some specific things that we can be working on and utilising as teachers to try and make this aspect of our job more manageable and keep our motivation high Um, because like we've said, our time management is really closely linked to our job satisfaction and we don't want to be running ourselves into the ground to the point where we are, you know. Blaming teaching as a profession and running out of the energy and zeal that we have in our jobs. So we want to be taking care of ourselves and utilising things to
1: make this easier. So we've got some really practical kind of tips and tricks, if you will, um, for implementing these time management theories and ideas. Um, and the first one is something that I didn't know was called this until a couple of days ago. Um, It's called the Eisenhower Matrix. Um, It's that graphic that's divided into quadrants. One of them is urgent and important. One of them is not urgent and important. The other one is not urgent and not important. (laughs) And the last one is urgent and not important. And you can use this in a kind of leadership position to decide what to do what to do later, what to delegate and what to delete or just get rid of entirely. But um, I think of it in terms of what am I actually going to even consider doing in the first place? Like if it's not urgent and it's not important – It doesn't exist to me in this time. (laughs) It's not going on my to-do list. I'm not even going to consider it a problem because I'm one of those people that needs to write everything down so that there's actually room in my brain. Urgent and important, I'll probably be doing it in that moment. If it's not urgent but it's important, then it's probably something I'm doing for a higher up at school or whatever, and that's definitely going on my to-do list. It's probably in my calendar already. Um, And if it's urgent and not important, well, then I might go, is this a rock or a pebble situation? Um, and if it's a pebble, then goodbye. Um, and I just, I like that. I like how simple that is. Um, and another one that I really, really love is called the Pomodoro Timer, which you also might have heard of. Um, it was apparently developed by a guy called Francesco Cirillo in the 1980s. I don't know why I thought it was newer than that. I thought it was younger than the 80s, but apparently it was devised in the 80s, and basically It's a cycle of 20 to 25 minutes working time with a five-minute break. And you can repeat that um, cycle for as many times as you want. I tend to do four lots of 25 minutes with the fourth break actually being longer than five minutes. It's like it can be anywhere from 10, 15 to 20 minutes. So you do 25, 5, 25, 5, 25, 5, 25. 10, 15, 20. Um, And I used this back when I was doing my law degree, which I didn't finish by the way. Um, Back when I first graduated um, high school, I went straight into law, which was so dumb. But anyway, and um, I used it for studying when I had to like draft essays that I had to write in an exam and dumb stuff like that. But it really, really helped because I didn't have to focus until the end of the task or the end of the essay, which could be hours and hours and hours into the future. It was 25 minutes. And I made sure that I got up from my desk in that five minute break and drank a glass of water. So by the end of by the time I had my long break, I'd drunk a liter of water almost. like so I was getting my work done as well as staying hydrated, which is really hard. Um, and just breaking the time down into something that was, I only have to worry about this twenty five minutes right now. And then, The five minutes came, and then I'll be like, "Okay, I'm ready for the next one." And that, for me, as someone who tends to get overwhelmed in the big picture, it was really helpful, and I just really highly recommend it. There is a super cute online Pomodoro timer that, for some reason, is tomato themed. That's really cute. Also, if you like me, struggle with time consciousness, which in the classroom is a massive thing, where just The minutes just have no meaning anymore and suddenly we have to be packed up in like five minutes and there's stuff everywhere and I'm like, clean! Um, So relatable. (laughs) Which actually happened this afternoon. We had wet weather and um, we ended up having to be outside at lines 15 minutes early and I didn't hear the announcement. And one of my beautiful colleagues came to my room and was like, hey, Grace, did you hear that announcement? We have to be out in five minutes. And we were doing developmental play, so it was very loud and very messy and I was like, Oh dear. But my kids, I think they read the room very well. They caught my vibe and um, packed up the quickest they've ever packed up. So good on them. But in relation to time consciousness, I have an Apple Watch because I am basic, but it's also the best I love my Apple Watch. And I put timers on there because the they can be silent. You can just vibrate them so it doesn't disturb anybody else. And I know that um, if I have just completely lost track of time for whatever reason, um, we do eating time inside in kindergarten um, at a time period before actual play starts outside. So I set my alarm to make sure that I know when eating time starts, when the kids should be eating, as well as when we need to pack up, so that if I forget, there'll just be a very subtle vibration on my wrist that only I'm aware of, so it doesn't distract the kids or whatever. But I can then go, oh, okay, we need to be at this point in our day and our school bell also rings every period for the middle schoolers which also helps because I can go oh I should be about this far into my lesson by now and just super quickly in like a couple of seconds just gauge if I'm on track to finish and those kind of things for me personally as someone who definitely struggles with time consciousness um, they really help just so I don't get lost in my excitement and then my poor kids don't get to eat. (laughs)
0: I think that is something that definitely gets better over time. I remember in my pracs and in my first few um, months and even year or so teaching, just being caught off guard by the bell so many times, and particularly teaching in a practical subject, that is a bit of a disaster if the bell goes and you were not ready for that. Um, I think now I've noticed that my time consciousness is significantly improved. I went through a period of using timers a lot to help me keep track. Um, I don't have a fancy wash that <laughs> vibrates on my wrist. So using my whiteboard or smartboard board um, for timers would be often what I would do. But I guess the challenge with that is um, there is a disruption, mm. right? So if you put a 50-minute timer on for your lesson or something... I don't know, sometimes the students can see that there's two or three minutes to go and they will just pack themselves up without you really getting to do your nice, I wanted to tie this all up in a bow kind of spiel at the end. So there's some challenges, I think, around having um, visible timers. Sometimes they're really helpful and necessary for the students as well, Um, but sometimes it's nice to just have your own sort of mental track of how much time do I have left and what am I trying to achieve before the bell goes. But It's funny how I'm so, um, you know, how like you get a body clock, right? When Mm. you know that you'll always wake up at the same time and things like that. I think my body clock is really um, established for the 60 minute periods that we have. But recently my school changed Tuesdays so that we have 55 minute periods on a Tuesday, but 60 minute periods every other day. and. That that's a recent change, and I am so thrown off. Like, <laughs> I I did not realize that that last five minutes meant so much to me. <laughs> but it really catches me off guard every time, and I I just didn't. Yeah, it's it's really hard. Um. Now we all wish that we had more class time with our kids and more time to cover off the curriculum in more depth and all of those things. But at the end of the day. That is a set amount of time. We use it to the best of our ability and it's all the other things that get relegated to the rest of the time that we feel like we're constantly um, fighting against to try and get everything done. One of the things that you can do is stop and reflect and identify some time leaks in your day-to-day processes. So taking some time to figure out where you could be saving time um, Like, am I making too many of my resources from scratch? If, you know, 90% of your outside of classroom time is all going to making resources, then maybe it's worth you investing in some subscription services like we've talked about previously, or um, asking some of your colleagues what they do and whether they'd be willing to share some of their resources which so much of the time people are willing to share and collaborate. Um, so don't feel like um, asking more experienced teachers what they do and whether they have things that they're willing to share is an indication that you as potentially a new teacher are flailing around. That's just how teachers help each other out. Um, But I think stopping to do a bit of analysis of how am I spending my time, even across a week or a fortnight, keeping a bit of a tally or a record um, could be really helpful. There are a couple of apps that you can get on your phone where you can just like hit play and it will just start a timer kind of, and then you can pause. And then if you come back to it later to doing that same task, you just hit play and it'll, it'll tally up the total amount of time that you spend on a particular task over however long that you are recording it for. So that might be a helpful way to do an analysis. And then once you actually have some data and you can see where your time is going, then you can make some decisions about maybe what's more important or less important and how you might need to restructure that time before and after your school day. I feel like it's kind of like doing a time budget. Yes. You know how like when you look at your bank account and you're kind of like, where did all my money go? All the time. And then you stop and have a look through your statements. Or I use this fabulous app called Frollo, which analyzes all my statements for me and just categorizes all the things. And so I can look at it and say, oh, actually. I spent this much money on eating out this week which was maybe more than I thought
1: I had spent on eating out this week. We are so much kinder to ourselves than we are in reality. We have rose colored glasses. Yeah.
0: So I feel like once once you analyze that and you then go okay, well I don't want to be spending too much money on eating out, so I'm going to allocate a budget for how much money I can spend on eating out. It helps you to at least be more diligent around thinking about what you're spending. And I feel like if we do a time budget, we can be more diligent in thinking about how are we spending our time, which is a commodity. It is. That's why we spend it. Right? Exactly. So have a look at doing a time budget, identify where your time is being most used and most spent, and then have a think about priorities and deciding what's not urgent and not important. The other thing you can be doing is plan to plan at the same time each day or week. For me, sitting down at the start of my week and filling in my planner with just some really brief notes for what I'm doing in each period works because I'm in a project-based learning kind of environment where so often we are just rolling because I've already spent heaps of time planning my unit and once my unit is established, we are just rolling all the way through and that's really easy for me to just kind of sit and fill in a couple of boxes and know where I'm heading for the week, um, except for this morning <laughs> where my um, year eights had finished their unit last week and I rocked up to school realising that I didn't actually have an activity for them to just flow on with like I have had for the last however many weeks. So I had to make some last minute adaptations, but that's okay. Um, that's part of my 1500 decisions that I had to make today. But planning to plan at the same time every day or week is really, really helpful. It's also important to be realistic in that planning and estimate the time required for all types of activities. What I do on top of that is I will then also look at the school calendar. Mm. This, I think, is particularly important if you teach in a secondary context, because if you know that you only see your students, you know, maybe three periods a week, but next week, all of your eight are out on an excursion, and then the following week, there's the swimming carnival, and then there's some other, um, you know, special edition assembly, and all three of those things fall on the one day that you have your class that week, like... You can lose a lot of time really quickly, Um, and so I think it's important as part of your planning to be aware of when those disruptions are happening and making adjustments for those preemptively rather than being frazzled by them when they arrive, which they inevitably will, um, and sort of having to try and work that out with less time to make up. Yeah. Um. So that's part of realistic planning. Plan for disruptions because they will happen. um, And, you know, you're never going to get all of your students in all of your classes in a term. It's just not going to happen. Um, The other part of planning is using tools effectively. Now, I love stationery and I love all the beautiful teacher planners that we have available to us. Last year I bought a beautiful paper planner from Curated Classroom and I love that they are now doing um, planner refills so you can keep your beautiful binder that your planner comes in and just order their refill packs. As much as I loved this planner and how it looks and how it feels, I am just not diligent enough at using a paper planner. And so I've been looking for a better way for me. Um, And like we keep saying, you have to do what works for you when it comes to time management and when it comes to planning. So this year I've been using a digital planner app called iDocchio. It's essentially set up to be exactly like your typical teacher planner, grade book, all of those sorts of things. You can mark and keep your role in it and all that sort of stuff. Um, And then you can have a... Sort of overview of your week where you can type in all your lessons and then your overview of your individual classes. What I like about it is because it knows my timetable, I only have to put my timetable in once and then it will just repeat that every fortnight. So I don't have to fill in at the start of each week when I have what classes, which was a time consuming process for me to have to look at my timetable and then fill into my paper diary each week. Yeah. So that's one reason that I love the digital thing because I just tell it I'm on a two-week cycle and it just keeps repeating. Um, I also love that I can click on one of my individual classes, so let's say 7-1, and because it knows my timetable, when I'm looking at my planner just for 7-1, it will tell me every date that I have that class. So that's great for my preemptive planning when I'm looking ahead to say, oh, year seven, have an excursion on this date. Do I have my class on this date? And do I need to write that lesson off or whatever? So I really love that. That's probably a couple of
1: my favorite things. What's it called again? I IDOCEO? Is that D-O-C-I-O? D-O-C-E-O. I'm Googling it right now because I want it. It's so
0: good. Um, one of the other things that I've really liked about it is I have, I can attach, say if a student in my class has an IEP, I can attach that document to their profile in my planner. I've also worked out how to make an adjustments list in it, so at a glance I can, make note next to a student's name if I've made any um, particular adjustments for them in a lesson um, so that when you get asked for your NCCD data um, partway into the year, you sort of know really quickly what you've been modifying and how you can record that. Um, It looks like a typical grade book on the interface, but I just find it very helpful. You can use like emojis in it, different icons. So sometimes I use those to code for certain things like homework trackers and stuff. Anyway, there's all sorts of things you can do with it. And I find it far easier to keep up with Um, than a paper planner. I still don't do a perfect job of keeping it up to date, but I've done a lot better with it than with a paper planner, which is sad because I love stationery.
1: Yep. I am totally there with you. I started using a paper planner this year because I just have it on my desk and I write things down as I think of them, which is kind of how my brain works. But normally in my day-to-day life, my paper planner sits there looking beautiful and unused. So I'm right there with you. Yep. Um, Trello is also another good one, um, that
0: at various points when I'm feeling maybe a little bit overloaded with school and life admin, I will make myself a Trello board and just tick through some of those things. Some of those may be more bigger, less day-to-day tasks. I will use a Trello board to help me manage. Um, so there's some helpful tools that you can use for your planning. Um, one other thing you might do as a result of your time budget That you've done is look for external time wasters. Mm. Um, So things like getting phone calls, just having a chat to your grade partner, um, dealing with unexpected visitors, unexpected meetings, all those kind of external things that aren't necessarily as a result of you managing your time poorly, but they do impact your ability to manage your time
1: well. Yeah, in relation to that, um, I saw on Instagram that someone, I cannot remember in what context, but someone had put a sign on their classroom door to show, kind of like a do not disturb sign, of showing when they were on like an important phone call to a parent or in some kind of meeting or whatever. Um, And I can't remember if this was my idea or if I also saw this on a different Instagram, but you could totally use this to block out an hour or two, like before or after school, and just kind of say, don't disturb me, I'm working. Which, personally for me, I would feel rude doing that, but if you are like me and are too polite to tell someone to go away because you need to do work, then it might be really helpful. It is nice to be
0: in a work environment where people are friendly, Uh, but we do need to be respectful of each other's time even just as you're thinking about how you might not want to be disturbed by people when you're in your, you know, one fifty-five minute block of time to get stuff done, um, be equally as thoughtful of the other people who you might be stopping to say hello to um, and thinking about whether now is the best time for that. I definitely think we should be using our um, lunchtime and recess breaks to stop and have some social time with other teachers. I don't think that it's the greatest practice to just spend every waking moment of time at school on your own in your room on your computer there are days where that happens and we know that Um, but keep your social time at school in those social breaks just like we want our kids to have their social breaks and try to make your working time your working time um, today, I actually took my computer outside. I worked outside for a little while, mainly just because the aircon was too cold <laughs> I feel in you. my room. And I'm, I can't control it. And I just run cold all the time. And so I was not coping. So I went and sat outside to do my work, which was actually very refreshing. So if you're looking for a different space to work where maybe you aren't as easily found, maybe you can find a nice outside spot, um, get some vitamin D while you're working as well. One of my last um, strategies that, again, comes from the Atomic Habits book is um, a different two-minute rule to the one that Grace told us earlier. If a task can be done in two minutes or less, do it now. That's a great rule. Great strategy. Probably takes you longer than two minutes to write it on your to-do list. Yes. Just do it. Uh, But this two-minute rule is from um, James Clear, and what he suggests is using this for those tasks that we find really hard to get started on. Those tasks where we would rather do something else, where we might even be actively looking for something else or for someone to talk to (laughs) that will distract us from the work that we're trying to do. We all have those tasks that are a bit of a mental hurdle um, to get over and that we would rather be doing something else. James Clear's advice in his book Atomic Habits is to tell yourself that you're just going to do two minutes. I can do two minutes. Exactly. It's 120 seconds. Exactly. And so it helps to sort of get over the mental hurdle of, oh my goodness, I have to sit down and do this huge thing. Mm. Or, oh my goodness, I have to sit down and do this thing that I definitely don't want to do. If you go, all I'm going to do is just two minutes. And this is, I guess, particularly helpful when you're trying to um, make a habit of something. So maybe you do get really overwhelmed looking at your emails each day and maybe you just decide, I'm just going to do two minutes of my emails. In most cases, you will actually end up doing longer because once you've started, you'll just finish the task at hand. But to avoid procrastination, if you just tell yourself, all I have to do is two minutes, it makes it far more achievable. You're more likely to get started. And as a result of getting started, you're more likely to just do the task.
1: It's kind of like what we were saying before with the Pomodoro timer. You don't have to worry about the whole task. You just worry about that 25 minute chunk. But here it's only two minutes. And as someone who will like stare at her sink full of dirty dishes all day, and think that's number one thing on my to-do list. I'm gonna do that as soon as I get up, and then it just languishes and gets disgusting over days and days. I really need to follow this rule. We all have those tasks that we hate doing,
0: whether it's you know cleaning your desk, even or just feeling organized um, visually in your classroom space. For those really hard to start tasks, um, if you're using the Pomodoro technique you know, you'll obviously get a lot more done in 25 minutes than you would in two. But if it's the difference between starting or procrastinating, just do two minutes.
1: Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. Um, We truly love what we do. And we know that we are more motivated to do our jobs well when we feel in control of our time and our tasks. So we hope that you found these strategies and tools helpful.
0: Be sure to check out our Instagram at Teaching Together the Podcast and join our Facebook community group where we share lots of extra articles and the research that we've done for these episodes if you want to go on a bit more of a deep dive.
1: Please hit follow on the podcast so that you don't miss our next episode. And if you feel like it, give us a five-star review. We'll love you forever. Bye.